All right, so we, we've come, we're coming to the uh, end of this letter, and uh, uh, something that we need to be reminded of in, in this letter always is that uh, John is writing to a community of people that have been wounded. Uh, I, I haven't really emphasized that. I've said it a few times, but I haven't emphasized it, that they're, he's writing to people that have, had a, uh, that have had a crisis in their community. They've had like a split, you know? that uh, people have left. People were teaching some, you know, this happens. People were, uh, there was a faction, and they were teaching wrong things about Yeshua, and they left. And so the people that were there were feeling a little insecure, like, you know, uh, is, uh, are, are we right? Are we right in our convictions? Uh, and John, uh, like a, a good uh, spiritual leader, he uh, not only encourages them, but he challenges them uh, as well, so that they would have an assurance of their faith in the Lord, see? Uh, and, uh, and that's going to come out as he, he uh, brings this to a close. So he says in verse 13 of chapter 5, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. What a helpful verse. He tells us now, he has said it a few, a few times throughout the letter, but here it is in black and white. I've written to you who believe, right? Okay, so he's not writing this to convince them to believe in Yeshua. This letter is not written to convince them to believe in Yeshua, okay? Uh, it is written in order that, now this will come in helpful this afternoon, but anyway, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. I've written this to you, you who believe in Yeshua, that you might know, that you might have an assurance that you have eternal life, that you know the Lord. Having eternal life is a euphemism for you know the Lord. Uh, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, you have an eternal destiny with God. Uh, you're living Israel's future today. <laughs> well, all of uh, whatever, however we want to phrase that, that is what he is saying uh, here. Now, it's important that we, um, uh, that we observe uh, uh, the context of this and also recognize, uh, and I think I said this last week and I'm, I need to reiterate it so that we really get this, uh, what he says at the very beginning of the letter and what he says at the end of the letter, okay? So if you remember last week, just above verse 13, he uses the word witness over and over and over again in like from verses um, 7 to 12, it's a whole bunch of times. Testimony or uh, witness, you know, have an eyewitness account of something. Uh, uh, knowing that something is true by, by my own experience, okay? So he talks about, in verse, if you remember, uh, in verse, uh, going back to verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Yeshua the Messiah, not with water only, but with water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and all three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he who has borne witness concerning his Son. 
Uh, the one who believes in the Son has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Uh, and he who uh, has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And so he's saying the witness is the life and death and resurrection and ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit that, that happened in time-space history as, a, as historical, uh, that is historically documented for us. And not only that, but we have the, that witness within ourselves when we believe that we know that we know. And so he's writing to encourage us that this is indeed true, because what were those people teaching that left? That Yeshua was not a real person. It was either that Yeshua uh, was, uh, was not a real person, that he was a spirit or an angel, uh, but not a real human being, or that he uh, manifested the presence of God during his life, but that presence left before he died. These were the kinds of things, teachings that were going around. And that is why you read so much about, test, depending on your translation, testimony or witness, 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 here as he brings bringing the letter to a close. And at the very beginning of the letter, he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us and so on. See, heard, manifest, handled, witness, testimony, all of this. Uh, John is reiterating to these people so that they would know, they would have an assurance that they who have embraced Yeshua indeed have eternal life, that this is indeed true. This is not an idea, it is not a philosophy of life that's being embraced, but Yeshua himself is the message. He's the message. It's not that Yeshua came and gave us a message only, but that he himself, the kurgama, right? The, uh, the announcement, the, the, the message, he is the good news. He himself is the message. Very important. We live in this postmodern world where, you know, you wonder, the only thing that we know, what people like to say, the only thing that we know for certain is that nothing is for certain, right? That there is no real certainty. That, uh, and, and people, even like your uh, Christian book companies, like of all companies like Ivy Press and Zondervan publish books about embracing uncertainty and Th things of that nature, uh, and, and that is really unfortunate because we can indeed have certainty, and that is, boy, Eric isn't here today, is, is Eric here? Oh, he's teaching? Well, you can let him know that, uh, you know, apologetics is, uh, is very important for us. That's what Eric is just uh, uh, is, uh, so well at, explaining the truthfulness of the good news, and that is what John is, is doing here. And, and so he's saying to them, regardless of these other people, 
you can know for sure because Yeshua really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead, and he really poured out the Spirit. And these, this historical truth is how God manifested himself into the highest degree in this world, uh, and, uh, and in, in doing so, he uh, is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. He is indeed the Son of Man, uh, the, the very manifestation, the very enfleshment of God in this world. And John is testifying of that truth and inculcating it to, to these people. Now let's go on. He said, and this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So what he uh, now uh, uh, says that you... First of all, you may have, he writes this so that, that uh, his readers might have confidence that the, the good news is really true and it's based on the real life of Yeshua. And having said that then, we have real confidence in our relationship with God. We have real confidence in prayer, real confidence in our prayer life. It's not just some religious exercise uh, that we do that we have real confidence that God indeed hears us. Now, in the Gospel of John, uh, we read the words of Yeshua that John wrote that emphasizes this in John uh, 14, for example. In uh, verse 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And in John 16, 23, and in that day you will ask me no questions. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you uh, in my name. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Uh, and you will receive that your joy may be made, uh, that your joy uh, may be made full. So we may uh, wonder, boy, you know, those are kind of scary passages because we know that Many times we pray and we pray and we pray and we wait and we wait and we wait. So we don't like to mention those verses because it's almost like I don't want to embarrass Yeshua, right? Uh, because he said those words. Uh, but what we know, first of all, he says, when you pray in my name, not just when you just say any old thing to me, when we pray in his name, we are praying according to who he is. And we're praying according to his will. And in fact, that's what we just read. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 5. When we pray according to his will. And if we had more time, we could turn to all the passages that give all the qualifiers in, in prayer. Like in James, uh, uh, there we read that, we, that uh, praying with right motives is, uh, is necessary. Right? Uh, and Yeshua himself tells stories about praying persistently, about praying persistently. Now, you know, uh, nobody knows exactly. Prayer is one of those things where nobody knows exactly where is the line between me praying for something and God, according to his will, just doing something, right? 
Uh, that's why volumes are written on these things, because nobody knows uh, exactly where that line is. But what we do know, what we have assurance is, is that God hears our prayer. And what we also know from reading the Bible, that when people prayed, they really believed that A, God heard them, and that B, my prayer can make a difference. Not just some religious exercise that God likes to hear my voice, you know? No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, yes, God is the Almighty. God is the Sovereign. God can do whatever He wants to do. But you see, we are the created ones, right? And so, therefore, we don't know everything about God. But what we do know is, is that He has invited us to talk to Him, to cry out to Him, to pray to Him, to even complain to Him, to reason together with Him, to strive with Him, to wrestle with Him. He doesn't want us to get on our Victorian holy platitude, uh, uh, you know, kind of thing, and that if I'm going to address God, it must only be in King James English, or, uh, or that um, I will only say praise the Lord and, and speak in great general generalities and, and abstract ways uh, uh, to God. No, he knows our heart. And just as uh, I would, when my children were uh, uh, very young, I certainly, when they were worried about something, and to this day, of course, it's still true, uh, that I would want them to come to me and to, and to talk to me about it, right? God desires that we come to him, that we pray, that we talk to him. And that is the emphasis here. That's the emphasis here. Yeshua gave us the model, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, let this cup pass. I mean, he really meant it, right? I mean, think of that is, it's hard to wrap your head around, right? He really meant it. He prayed it. He was in dire straits. Let this cup pass. I don't want to die. It just goes to show you he was a real human being. He did not have a death wish, okay? But then he says, what does he say? But your will be done. But your will be done. And that's what happens, see? Uh, and so very important for us to pray earnestly, to pray believing, to pray trusting, and to leave it there with the Lord, but to really go before him in prayer and to have the assurance of, of confidence. The, uh, the point of what John is saying at the end of this letter is you have confidence that Yeshua really is the Messiah, and that means that you have confidence to pray. Remember what we said last week? What did Yeshua say in John 1, 51? That he's the ladder, right? In the story of Jacob and the ladder. That he's the bridge. That, that uh, in him we have free access to the presence of God. Two quick passages that, that really are a great comfort to me. And, uh, and I remember studying these things to, to, um, to teach on them. And in studying them, I remember it made a real difference in my life. One is in Romans chapter 5, uh, in, uh, in, the, very, in, in uh, the first two verses, where it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
So there's two things about that. The, int- the word introduction and the, and, and the fact that we stand in it. And the word introduction, uh, uh, the best word to translate that is actually not an English word, but uh, uh, a, a French word, right? The word entree, that we have, it's like we have the credentials. We have the, we, we have, uh, it has been given to us to be able to stand in the grace of God, to stand in the presence of God. Not to pass through, but to stand there, to, to get there and to stay there. And God has given us the credentials. The credentials are in Messiah Yeshua. Not in that I've done my best, not in that I prayed the prayer, but in His righteousness. That is who, indeed, we are in in Him. The other one is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. In Hebrews, chapter 10, passage that you may be familiar with, in uh, verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And I'll just stop there. Uh, and, And so, we have confidence to enter because of who He is. And that is what John is bringing out. That we have confidence to know we have eternal life because of who He is. And we have confidence in our prayer life because of who He is. Now, uh, I had the privilege of going to the little mini-course that uh, Eric taught on identity and idolatry. And he gave out this really great... um, uh, article by a man by the name of David uh, Paulison. I have some of his books, a very good writer. And the name of the article is called Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. It's, really, it's a great article. <clears throat> but toward the end, there's this very interesting paragraph that really, like, the way it's written, it makes you, like, pay attention. And it has a lot to do with, with what I'm just saying right here. The gospel is better than unconditional love. The gospel says God accepts you just as Messiah is. God has contraconditional love for you. Messiah bears the curse you deserve. Messiah is fully pleasing to the Father and gives you his own perfect goodness. Messiah reigns in power, making you the Father's child and coming close to you to begin to change whatever is unacceptable to God about you. God never accepts me just as I am. He accepts me as I am in Yeshua the Messiah. The center of gravity is different. The true gospel does not allow God's love to be sucked into the vortex of the soul's lust for acceptability and worth in and of itself. Rather, it radically decenters people, what the Bible calls fear of the Lord and faith to look outside themselves. I, it's, I, it, it's, this is part of a larger section uh, about sometimes when we counsel people as believers, what we're trying to do is get them to just love themselves, you know, and that don't worry, God takes you to any, you know, however you are. 
well, and so we, but we need to know what that means, right? While there's truth there, we need to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that we're okay the way we are. We are acceptable because we have his righteousness, because he is faithful, you know? We are accepted because Yeshua is faithful, right? Now, I could go to town on that, but I'm not going to, and uh, turn to all kinds of passages that, that, that teach that. But but it, the center of correct gravity and our acceptance before God is not in me. The, acceptance, the, the center of gravity is in him. And that is what John is bringing out here in 1 John 5. That our assurance of eternal life is because of who Yeshua is. Our uh, confidence in prayer is because of who Yeshua is. And so, you know, when you read, again, it's in John Chapter, one, uh, chapter 3 and verse 16. Some of you may have heard of this verse before, right? You know, it's like uh, when Jewish kids grow up in the synagogue, everybody knows Deuteronomy 6.4, right? When Christian kids grow up in a church, everybody knows John 3.16, right? May either one of them or Lord willing, both of them actually be true in a person's life, right? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who... Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What we could say is, in this way, God loved the world. He sent his only begotten son. He sent Yeshua. That whoever embraces, uh, trusts, believes in him. Yeshua is the center. Yeshua is the one uh, uh, in whom we trust. Because he is absolutely identified with Adonai, Yudhei he is the very enfleshment of the God of Israel. This is not another God. This is not a secondary belief. This is not an add-on. Okay? Yeshua is the enfleshment of Hashem, the one we read about in the Shema, about loving him with every ounce of our very being. This is who Yeshua is. So it is not like another belief or a second God or a watered-down version or any of that, right? And that is what John is uh, bringing out here in, back in 1 John, okay? So we have this assurance of, of prayer, but now he's going to say some kind of interesting things uh, about prayer, okay? And if only we were there, uh, you know how it is with these letters, they're like one half of a telephone conversation. So I, I, some of the things that he says here, we have to ask ourselves, he doesn't explain it all completely, but I think we can understand it. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, or literally sinning a sin, okay, uh, not to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Okay, so there's several things going on here. Do you remember back in an earlier chapter, at the end of chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, it says in verse 8 of chapter 1, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let me read that again, slowly. If we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is very important for these people to hear. Because evidently, 
along with the question of who is Yeshua, the people that left evidently believed that no one can sin if you really know the Lord. And so John is fixing this and encouraging them and saying, if, if we say we have no sin, then the truth isn't even in us, okay? And notice he says, we say that we have no sin. He is including himself in this. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. It's not about our faithfulness. None of it is about our faithfulness. It's all about us embracing his faithfulness. Everything, okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he says, my little children, very tenderly, right? you know, very tenderly. I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua, the Messiah, the righteous. And he himself is the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. Wow, that means that I... That means for the whole world, that means that I will never fill up the canister uh, and now God can't forgive me anymore because I filled up my quota of sins, right? So he is reiterating that it's all about the faithfulness of God. When we sin, it's not because I say some beautiful prayer of confession, but it's because there's an advocate. It's because of Yeshua, our entree into the grace of in which we stand. We have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies because of Him. It's just that we embrace Him. It's not about us. And that's what He's saying to them here, that we all indeed do sin. So here, this is fascinating, what He says about prayer at the end. He encourages the people to pray for one another so that they wouldn't sin and that, we, that, that people would repent of sins. In other words, acknowledging that we sin. And so we need to be praying for each other that we would all recognize the sin in our lives and we would repent and we would be right with God. This says a lot to us about the way we pray. We pray a lot for jobs and cars and good health and, and, and uh, uh, good things to happen in our lives. Nothing wrong with that. But boy, how often do we pray that we would repent of our sins? You know, that we pray for each other. Not that we need to call each other out in the prayer meeting, you know, uh, or that we gossip uh, and pray out loud and talk about somebody's uh, uh, sin. No, but we should be all uh, uh, praying for each other. And when we come together and pray communally, let us be praying for us as a body that we would communally repent of our sins, and that we would all grow deeper in our walk with God. So he's encouraging him to pray this way, acknowledging that, the, that we do sin and that we need to pray for each other, right? Uh, in this regard, we need to intercede on behalf of each other uh, for purpose of, uh, purposes of repentance and, and, uh, and, and being uh, godly. So, you know, it's really an encouragement. This is an encouragement that, look at, like, uh, he could have said, like I said above, 
or as I wrote above, yes, we indeed all sin, so let's be praying for each other and have confidence to know that you are right with God in this. Okay? Then he says, right, this, this what do we do with this thing? Where he says here, um, I, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask of God and will give him uh, life. He will give he will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. So he's saying that we can sin and it doesn't lead to death. Sin of, you know, falling through temptation, the sins of the flesh that we are uh, so prone uh, to engage in. But then he says, but you know, there is another sin. There is a sin leading to death, right? And, and so what he says is, I do not say that uh, he should make requests for this. What does this mean? Uh, first of all, the sin leading to death. This goes back all the way to the Torah. The sin leading to death is the sin of rejecting, rejecting the Lord. Uh, you know what it's called in, in the, the Torah? High-handed sin. There's no, uh, there is no sacrifice, no forgiveness, for it's called high-handed sin. And in Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 15... Uh, that is the opposite of unintentional sin, okay? See, this is important that we, uh, that we get this because uh, sometimes we wonder even, even what's going on here in the, uh, in the uh, Torah, okay? So in Numbers 15, yeah, here we go. Beginning in verse 27, it says, uh, Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. So you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is a native among the sons of Israel and for the alien who sojourns among them. But for the person who does anything defiantly, that is the, that is the opposite of unintentional sin. Defiance of God whether he is a native or an alien. That one is blaspheming the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be on him. Okay? So defiance of God. Defiance of God and his word. Defiance of Yeshua uh, and who he is. There is no... There is, there's nothing left for that person. That's what he's driving at here. Does that mean that we should not pray for people that don't know the Lord? No, that's not what it means. But what he is saying here is, is that in the community, that we do need to be praying for one another, uh, that we would be strong in the Lord. Who is the one who has committed the sin leading to death? In chapter um, 2, you read in verse 18 of 1 John, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that anti-Messiah is coming, even now many anti-Messiahs have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. And so when he says about uh, the sin leading to death, I would suggest 
He's talking to them about the adversarial people that had been in their midst and were trying to destroy them and destroy their faith and destroy their trust in Yeshua. But they left because they were not really of us. And so what he's saying, about, what he's saying is those are, those are anti-Messiah. Okay? So it's not here saying... Remember, we kind of had this conversation when we talked about that passage and what does anti-Messiah uh, mean. That these were people that were vehemently coming against and destroying their faith. And so he's basically saying there's nothing there for them. There's no hope for them. Just as you read in the Torah about defiant sin. What do, uh, what do those people need? They need to be broken. Now, he also doesn't say, don't pray for them. That's also important. The text actually does not say, like, you're forbidden to pray for them. But he's saying that is not your priority in, in who you are and in your encouragement. Okay? So that's very important. Then he says in verse, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. What it, the reason he ends that little section there saying that is that the gist of what he's saying is, yes, there is sin, so let's pray for one another. That's what he's saying. That's what we're supposed to get out of that. Okay? Uh, and so be encouraged. Uh, and have confidence that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah. He was real. We saw him. We touched him. We beheld him. Uh, and the witness is even within you. You have confidence, therefore, to pray, to talk to God because of who Yeshua is. And let us be praying for one another, for our spiritual well-being. That's a great way to say that. Because we do like to pray, and there's nothing wrong with praying for people's physical well-being. But let us have a priority of prayer for the spiritual well-being for each of us, that we would be protected from temptation and protected uh, 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 from sin. Okay, and then he says now in verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Ay, 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 we just got through saying, right, right. But we know from our pre a previous message on this, right, that it's referring to, and the way it's written in Greek, of course, is the reason for this, I believe, uh, I could be corrected after we're done, uh, but uh, that it's to continuously, now and forever, as a way of life, okay? When he says that no one who is born of God sins, but he was born of God keep, but he who was born of God keeps him. Now, there's another way of understanding this that is very interesting. This is what makes Bible study so fascinating. That perhaps when he says, the one who is born of God, that, the, that no one born of God sins. Yes, no one born of God sins as a way of life by definition. But it is interesting that the very next phrase says, but he who was born of God keeps him. That's Yeshua. Okay? Uh, and so here, it's interesting. Uh, so who's at the beginning of the verse, is the one born of God all of us? Or is the one born of God Yeshua who doesn't sin and keeps us? So it's either we are born of God uh, and, we, and uh, no one who is born of God sins as a lifestyle, uh, but Yeshua who is born of God keeps him. Or the whole thing is about Yeshua. That Yeshua uh, uh, has never sinned and uh, he is the one who keeps us. Probably 
I will say that because of him, keeps him, probably that is referring to us when it says no one who was born of God sins, if you follow all of that rambling. Okay, uh, and so what is the point of that? What is the gist? Of, what is the, what are we, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is, is that we are not uh, in the presence of God because we don't sin, but it's because he who is faithful constantly forgives us and he keeps us. He holds us in. We're in because he holds us in, not because I embraced him and so I did that, so now I'm in. No, what it is, I've embraced him, he forgives me, he keeps forgiving me, and he holds me in. It's all because of him. You know, Peter says this also in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, okay? Uh, When he talks about the inheritance, it says in verse 3, 4, and 5 of 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Who are protected by the power of God. And so when we talk about uh, our assurance, the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of knowing the Lord, it's because Yeshua was real and really did and really said what the text tells us by the eyewitness of John and the testimony of the Spirit within us. We have the confidence and the assurance of prayer and being in the presence of God, because Yeshua is our entree, and let us be praying, therefore, for one another uh, to confess our sins, to be repentant, uh, to be kept from sin. And then uh, he gives us another assurance about this issue of sin, that we are kept by him, okay? And the evil one does not touch him there. You know, uh, uh, yes, there are. there is the evil one. And yes, there is a demonic activity. But he who is in us, as John says, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Your assurance is in him. Don't be afraid of Satan. Don't be afraid of the devil. You are in him. You are secure. You are kept. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We need to remember this in our own day, in our own time, because we live in a, post, a post-God culture. We live in a post-biblical culture, a post-spiritual culture. And the norm is to come against people of faith in the Lord. And I mean, I mean people of faith in the Lord. Nobody comes against, really, uh, well, these days, nobody comes against Islam. And you don't hear too many people coming against Moses. You really don't. You know what I mean? But people come against Yeshua all the time. And we are in him. He is our entree. He's our badge. 
you know? Uh, he's our clothing. He is our righteousness. Uh, and so people make fun of us. People say all kinds of things about us. Uh, oftentimes untrue, sadly sometimes true. But the point is, is that we need to recognize, and this is what John is saying, we know we are of God and that the whole world is taken up with the lie. The whole world is taken up with the lie of the enemy. What is the lie of the enemy going back to the beginning of Genesis? You can be as God knowing good and evil, right? That is the whole world taken up with it and different manifestations of that lie. But we are people of God. We are of the truth. And this letter is meant to solidify that for us so that we would be encouraged and know that. And that the people that leave, they're, the, they're wrong. They're, they're anti-Messiah. Leave them alone out there. You pray for each other to grow and, uh, uh, because of, of all of that persecution that there may be uh, uh, coming against us. You, you be praying for one another. That's what he's saying. And then, for the last verse for today, in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. This is the true God and eternal life. Wow! How much straightforward could He be? And so he says it, it's like he's saying it again, that when we know that the Son of God has come for all the reasons that we've talked about and has given us understanding, very important. Our belief in Yeshua is a belief of revelation. It's revealed to us. It's, it doesn't come to us naturally. We can be convinced uh, of many things, but actually embracing the Lord comes via revelation of God uh, uh, to us. And so this is very important. How is it that we believe? Why is it that, 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 that people don't believe? Why? Because he gives us understanding. Not that we have figured it out, but he has given us understanding. And you know, it says in John that the Spirit draws us to Yeshua. And if you remember in your own experience that people are talking to you about the Messiah, that in the natural, it's like, why am I even paying attention to this? Why am I even listening to these people? Why am I even entertaining this? God is at work stirring it up inside of you to bring you to the place of your own will, embracing him, you see? But he is the one who gives us the understanding. It seems like he is the center. And really, it is not about me and God's wonderful plan for my life. You know, it's about his wonderful plan that we get to be a part of, see? And so notice, he uses the word true, true, true. Uh, and so if you are here today, and you're kind of wavering a little bit, maybe life is really being uh, quite difficult for you, uh, don't throw in the towel. Stick with the program. Do not let circumstances determine what is true about God, right? Like, like Jacob's life, right? A very difficult life. His difficulties did not determine the truthfulness of the God of Israel uh, and the blessings of God. And so it is true in your life as well. You can have the assurance by the witness of the Spirit within you that, yes, this message is true. Sometimes life is like being on that roller coaster where, you know, you're, uh, you actually start coming out of the seat 
you know, when you're hanging on, hang on. It'll be okay. All right? Hang on. Because there's people here to pray, you know, to pray with you, to get you through it. Because there's nowhere to go after Yeshua. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There, he, where, as Peter said, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. And that's what John is saying. You have stuck with the program. They left. You stayed. You're right. Yeshua is indeed the Messiah. You have embraced the one true God. Because he is true. He is true. The one true God. And that's what this is the true God and life forever. And so be assured that no matter what your circumstances or doubts may be, according to the eyewitness testimony, outside and inside, it is indeed true. Be encouraged. Have the confidence to talk to God, to wrestle it out with Him. Let people pray for you and be built up because we need it in the world in which we live. Because we have the answer. We have the answer to the problems of this world. Let us not doubt. Let us move forward in our faith and trust God indeed for that. He is the center of the gravity. It's about him. And we're going to pray and end our message today. We're going to save the last verse for, uh, for, next, uh, for next Shabbat uh, as we uh, close out uh, 1 John. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this great word of confidence, for this great word. Lord, I pray for those of us that are maybe disappointed about situations in life. Lord, for these people that John was writing to, they were really disappointed, maybe even in the institution in which they, was a part, they were a part of, that, that these people left, and, and it left them sort of kind of wondering. Lord, perhaps we are in a place where we have had setbacks, Perhaps we have had people leave us. Perhaps we have had situations that we just were scratching our head and saying, wow, am I, am I right in staking my life on this claim of Yeshua? Lord, I pray that we would all have that confidence that he who began this good work in us will indeed continue it to the day of Messiah Yeshua. That our confidence would not be in, in people's uh, letting us down. That our confidence would not be in bad teaching that I heard somewhere and so therefore this must not be true, or people who have just stabbed us in the back, or unmet expectations about life. Lord, our confidence is in Yeshua, that he is the faithful one, that he is the one who never sins, that he is the one who came into this world, the very enfleshment of God, and lived and died and rose again, and that therefore the words of Moses are true, the words of the prophets are true, the words in the Psalms are true. The words of the Besorah, the, the good news is true. The, the Gospels are true. The, the, the entire scripture is indeed true, Lord. And so thank you, God. That's where our confidence lies. Not in ourselves. Not in what we can produce. Not in how good we are. Not in how capable we are. Not in anything about ourselves but in you. Lord, may we realize that that's what is, we're hanging on to you, but you're hanging on to us, Lord, and you're not going to let us go. Lord, as Yeshua said, the ones whom the Father has given to me, I will not cast out. Thank you for that great assurance, Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name. In his name. In his name. Amen.